Encore with Shannon Fogarty. Arts and entertainment for the Midlands. With the Dean Crow Theatre and Arts Centre Athlone. Imagine the possibilities. DeanCrowTheatre.com A walk through the corridors of Toos and the Lewin Gallery as work from one of Ireland's foremost modern art collections crosses the town of Athlone. And staying in Athlone, the Army Band is 100 years old and starring in a gala charity event next week. You're listening to Encore on Midlands 103 with me, Claire O'Brien, and tonight we have a very special programme for you. Aoife Banks, curator of the Lewin Gallery, is your eyes as we bring you through the Toos Modern Art Collection. And hopefully we'll encourage you to get to Athlone to see the work for yourself in the next couple of weeks. And if you, like Kieran Mannion, who is president of Athlone Rotary Club, have grown up in and around Athlone, well then this is a sound that you'll be very familiar with. I've taken that music from a recording done by Athlone Arts and Tourism a few years ago, but the sound of Athlone's army band is as fresh and vivid today as it was 100 years ago. The concert will be conducted by Australian native Captain John Carpenter, who recently took up the position of conductor of the 2nd Brigade Band in Athlone. Now, I mentioned Kieran Mannion earlier, and he and the Rotary Club are bringing a gala musical event to the Radisson Hotel next Thursday night. He's been telling me all about it. It's an event to mark the 100-year anniversary of the Combined Army Bands uh, to celebrate their involvement here in Athlone. And um, it's going to raise money for St. Hilda Services, which is a 60-year-old charity here in Athlone that has been looking after uh, less able uh, people in society, uh, particularly uh, adults perhaps with intellectual disabilities. And this event is going to be the launch of a new home that has been built. Um, it's planned to be built next year and opened next year. So we're, we're very, very excited about that. And obviously, the uh, Army Band, it's an opportunity to um, for past members, for um, retirees, for their families to come to the Radisson and see a show that has been um, polished, if you like, at the National Concert Hall with the tenor Gavin Ring. It has also been done in Waterford. So it's, it's an opportunity perhaps for people who didn't get to travel uh, to see those performances, to see it in the Radisson Hotel in Athlone next Thursday. Well, you have a, a lifelong association with Athlone and therefore, in ways, a lifelong experience with the Army Band. What does it mean to you and to the people of Athlone to have the the Army Band there? Oh, I, I, the, the Army, everything in Athlone has, the, the town has all the centred around its Army traditions. Um, obviously, the Army Barracks is one of the most Army Barracks. Uh, in in Europe and stopped in 1691, the Jacobite War, the British forces. So, um, I, I, for me, a child growing up in Athlone, the the army, uh, the band going through town, St Patrick's Day parade, and watching the the, the conductor throw his uh, I don't know the batten up the air, the three stories, and catching on the way down, and the drummers and the pipers. And I, I just give you a great sense of occasion to the town and any ceremonial events or um, no matter what it would be, visiting dignitaries or uh, other events in the town, Christmas uh, charity events or concerts uh, for the churches. Uh, the Army Band is always a, a very, very colourful uh, presence 
So tell me, tell me what makes it a gala event for you and for the Athlone audience? Well, celebrating 100 years um, and having um, past dignitaries as well as uh, I think the, the, the commanding officer, Brigadier General Anthony Goodmore, is coming down from Dublin, uh, former UN um, servicemen um, are, are coming to the event, are going to be ushers. Uh, all of those retirees will be there with their medals. Um, all of the, the army and the MC for the night is um, uh, current uh, captain in the army, uh, Richard Brennan. And it'll just be it'll just be a very, very special night. And St. Hilda's is celebrating six years next year. And they have a lot of things to be proud of. Um, and this is a fantastic step. What we're raising money for is another new home, um, state-of-the-art home for uh, people to, 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 to live in, uh, adults with intellectual disabilities, um, that can in, empower them to live in the community and live the fullest lives they can. Mm-hmm. So, And for the Rotary Club, it, it's a privilege for us to be to help with this project. We're really just the facilitators of this gala event. And the Radisson is a fabulous uh, location as well on the, of course, on the yeah. river. And they've got the new gateway now, the new greenway leading right up to their new terrace. So it, mm. it's, uh, it's, it's a special night. That loan is really kind of shining these days. And uh, I, I, I think, you know, I, personally, I, 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 I love history. And when I look back on uh, the foundation of the state, everybody's been looking back on that in the last hundred years. One of the most popular newsreels is of the British Army marching out of the Athlone barracks and having the Irish Army march across the Shannon River and in and raising the tricolour. And that was shown on Pathé newsreels all around the world mm. at the time. And, you know, that was a that was a colonial power. Young men from the Midlands, including Tullamore, Athlone, you know, went over to fight for a colonial power. And it's lovely to think that our army has matured, that our nation has matured, but our army is viewed as a peacekeeping force, you know, all around the world and welcome into places. And the army band played in all those foreign mm-hmm. locations and being, you know, all Irish music uh, to, to, to those, to, you know, to think about in Africa, and, you know, the Middle East for many, many years and in Kosovo and East Timor. You know, when you think of the places that it's it's it, it's a lovely a maturity of a nation. If you know what I mean, it's like armies everywhere are viewed upon as you know fighting, and it's lovely yeah. to think that our army is viewed as a peacekeeping one. So I suppose that brings pride in that alone. And finally, uh, if I if I turn up to the Radisson next Thursday night, uh, what can I expect on the night? We'll all be there in dress tie, uh, the Rotary Club members uh, dress suits, trying to bring a Occasion ushering in, and, and uh, we have the army, the UN retired, uh, will all be in their uniforms as well, and they'll be helping people in the audience. And then, of course, you have the army band looking resplendent on stage. Um, and I would imagine everybody's going to be looking very well on the night. And um, as you'll expect, Gavin Ring as a tenor, I think, will add a touch of, um, how would you call it, professional class and something different to the band as well. So Athlone has always reveled in his tenor voices since John McCormick. So Gavin has a big tradition to follow there. So um, I, I think it's just going to be a, a, a really nice night. 
It will indeed, no doubt, be a very special evening. The concert by the bands of the Defence Forces Gala takes place at the Radisson Hotel on Thursday next at half past seven. It's an aid of St Hilda's Services and the Army Benevolent Fund and tickets are available at the Radisson Hotel on the door, on the night or at eventmaster.ie. You're listening to Encore with me, Claire O'Brien. And after the break, let me take you on a walk through the corridors and spaces of the Lewin Gallery. Stay with us on Midlands 103. Midlands 183's Encore with the Dean Crow Theatre and Arts Centre Athlone. Live theatre, drama, dance, music, comedy, musical theatre, panto. Your home of entertainment for all. DeanCrowTheatre.com You're very welcome back to Encore on Midlands 103. The Regional Technical College or RTC opened in Athlone in 1970. It then became the Institute of Technology and more recently the Technical University of the Shannon or TUS. It began life as a modern building with exposed block walls and those walls have become home to one of the greatest collections of contemporary art in the country. The collection started in the 1970s with a purchase by Dr Harmon Murta of 10 pieces and today there are well over 100 paintings and works of sculpture ranging from Louis de Brocchi, Robert Bala to Phelim Egan, Eileen McDonough, Anne Yates and many more. Whatever your work or your study or your activity in the Technical University of the Shannon, it takes place against a backdrop that is curious, that's contemporary, it's thought-provoking and memorable. This autumn, Sarah Lacumber and others from TUS and from the Lewin Gallery have come together for an exhibition called Symbols of Subject and it runs until the 16th of November. And now, Encore on Midlands 103 invites you to close your eyes and go on an imaginative, conceptual journey in the company of Lewin's curator, Aoife Banks. Take us to the scene that we're in at the moment on a sunny Saturday morning. Well, Claire, we are standing in the library gallery in Lewin Gallery. The sun is shining through the windows. It's an absolutely gorgeous day. And um, as we can see, the sun is starting to reflect off some of the artworks here. Um, As I said, we're standing in the library gallery, so-called as it used to be the library here in Athlone until um, Lewin Gallery has uh, taken over. The walls are lined with some paintings and a sculpture and some print work. Um, so I suppose I can start to delve into some of these yeah, works a little bit more. Do. Yeah. So um, what we're looking at now is a painting by Alice Berger Hammerschlag. This was painted in 1966, so it's the oldest work that we have in the exhibition. And I believe it's the oldest work in the collection from Tous. Um, so this is a quite large, maybe 1.5 metres wide by 1.2 metres tall painting on canvas. And it's... I suppose you could say it's almost like a half moon shape that you see initially, but it's these big, bold, abstracted shapes in different shades of blue. Um, Some might even say it reminds them of (laughs) Pac-Man. If you can visualise a a couple of blue Pac-Man, Pac-Man. And that lovely kind of petrally, tealy blue. I love those colours and the the navy with it. Absolutely. It's quite, um, it's kind of reminiscent of like an underwater scene. Um, but I don't think these kind of geometric half moony shapes are that prevalent <laughs> under sea. <laughs> but it's very ambient. It always has given me a sense of peace and calm. Um, and I suppose the colour blue tends to do that as mm-hmm. it is. But the shapes, the way that they're 
the curve of them and the gentle line present in the way that the paint has been applied to the canvas. It gives a sense of gentle easing through motion. And was this your choice to bring here or was it a decision that was made between you and Sarah and the collection? Um, all of the work in this exhibition is work that I selected from the collection myself. Mm-hmm. So um, at the beginning of the conversation with Tooth and with Sarah, the curator of the collection uh, there now, um, I came to the Tooth campus. I had a site visit. I was shown around. I was shown all of the work. Um, and from that, I was able to select the works that I felt would be most fitting for this exhibition. Mm-hmm. So everything in the exhibition is what I felt would suit the overall thematic. Yeah. And there are pieces that students who have studied in AIT as it was and the, 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 the technical college there as it was before will have seen on their normal everyday movement around from one class to another, from lecture to lecture. Absolutely. And what I think is really lovely is um, students and teachers and um, lecturers alike have come into the gallery and they have associations with these paintings from being in certain departments or they'll say, oh, I remember that day when such and such. And these paintings will be in the background of their mind from different instances. There's so many different associations that people already have with them, which is really lovely, actually. Take us along along here. A bit more colour in this work here by William Crozier. I've seen quite a few William Crozier uh, pieces here. Absolutely. We have a series of four smaller prints by William Crozier and the and three larger prints, which we're looking at two of now. Um, these Crozier prints um, are quite playful and, as you said, very colourful. They're a nice splash of liveliness. Um, they depict a very, like abstracted view of a field, maybe something floral kind of sprouting out of a landscape. Mm. Um, They give a sense of emergence and excitement compared to the one that we're looking at now, which is very colourful. It has greens, very vivid, bright, almost luminous greens with um, an orange red, a deep navy blue, a marini teal, all very... um, if you imagine an excited painter with a paintbrush just really going going wild on a yeah. canvas while still maintaining an idea of what this should still look a little bit like a landscape. Yeah. Um, so it gives that sense of excitement. But I've paired this beside another William Crozer print, um, which is very different. Um, this print has a lot more, uh, much more darker hues, lots mm. of blacks and greys. Um, the only other colour in this print is um, a shade of blue, royal blue, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, and it's actually, it seems quite contained in comparison. It seems um, a little bit like the figures that we're looking at are quite still. And what we're looking at is um, quite abstracted shapes. It's like a big, if you imagine the top of a baseball bat, that kind mm. of uh, obtuse shape emerging out from the bottom of the print. Um, lots of what seem to be like ripples of water across the entire body of the print and other kind of strange oblong black and grey shapes in a state of movement almost behind it. And it's the movement that stands out in both of these, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, Particularly for the work in this library, in the library gallery here, I chose work that did give a sense of movement um, because it, it seems to me more exciting and it also is quite fitting with the idea that I'm trying to present with the work in, and with this exhibition and that the world is always in a state of change and flux and we as humans have to always be in a state of flux <laughs> with it. 
Um, but also with that, it's nice to, to acknowledge the fact that what you may previously have known to be true may not be true anymore. Um, and we see that a lot with education, with scientific developments, with, um, with world politics. Um, belief systems um, that we may have grown up with may have changed drastically. The way that our parents were taught biology may be very different to how we now are taught biology in secondary school. Um, so to give a sense of movement and change and growth is very important to me with this work because it really reflects how that happens in society and continues to happen. And those two pieces are called Hayricks by the Sea and The West Window. This is really very striking in a number of ways in terms of the movement, in terms of the colour uh, and the shape. This actually is probably my favourite work in the gallery. Um, it is a sculptural piece by Deborah Brown. Um, it's called Fiberglass Form Painted Yellow on Black and it was made in 1967. Um, it's quite a big work. It's about two and a half metres, maybe even three um, tall um, and maybe 70 centimetres wide. It is a large black background and placed upon that background is a fibreglass form, which some people have said is reminiscent of a lightning bolt. Um, but it's uh, quite, quite, a, quite a vivid yellow very shapely, a mm. curved metal um, sheet, or sorry, it looks like a curved metal sheet. It is made of fiberglass, but um, it looks like almost scrap metal you'd see at a yard after a car had been taken apart. Um, and it has almost like that lightning bolt shape in the sense that it's wider at the top and comes down to a point at the bottom, a little bit like a very long stretched out triangle that's in a state of movement and flow as it's curved. It's kind of rippling like a wave. It makes you smile. You're smiling as you're talking about it. Why is that? What do you see in it that speaks to you? Um, it does. It does. I think it just seems so free. To, it seems so freeing to me. There's something about it that just uh, evokes a sense of being loose and playful and enjoying enjoying the moment in, and enjoying the the fluidity that is possible in life. Um, and conversely, other people have said that they really aren't a big fan of it. And I think that's really interesting. I love those conversations because if someone has a strong reaction, regardless of whether it's good or bad, that really intrigues me. Um, and I'm glad that it makes some people uncomfortable because it means that it's, it's, doing, um, it's doing something powerful. And when artwork is powerful, that's when you know it's, it's great. We're going to move along. There's another four prints here. And these are similarly framed to the to the other William Crozier ones. Um, talk to me about these. Absolutely. So these William Crozier prints, um, there's four of them. Three are called Poppies 1, 2 and 3. They're from the series Poppies. One is titled Night um, and they're all quite visually similar. Um, they are quite similar to the first Crozier print that we spoke about mm -hmm. in that they're very colourful, very playful. The actual printed image is small, maybe 15 centimetres by 15 centimetres, and it's framed by quite a large white background. Um, so even though there's this lovely sense of playfulness and colour and liveliness and fun, it's still contained, uh, which is quite interesting to me. Um, that there's, when you look at the overall uh, artwork, the majority of that artwork is actually the white background. And then there's just a nice pop of life 
Yeah. And, and again, there were really vivid colours in the sense of movement. Mm-hmm. Explosions, really, of colour and of shape. Absolutely, they really are. And I like that phrase, explosions, when you apply it to this, because that's what they're, they're like. It's like a very, very still, um, plain, monotonous, white backdrop, and then boom, a huge blast of, of joy and life and fun. Okay. So something very different then here on the, the opposite end of the room, I suppose, something that might catch your eye as you, as you come in. In terms of, the, of the, the colour palette that's used here, this is George Campbell's Samurai from 1976. This work is um, a little bit of a a little bit of a maze of sorts. There's a lot going on in it. Um, It is, I would say, medium size in contrast to the rest of the work in the exhibition. It would be about 1.2 metres tall by one metre wide. Um, And as you said, it's called Samurai, which I have found really fascinating because I, for the life of me, can't tell why. And that's what I love about it. It's quite... um, it's quite mysterious. It's very um, multi-layered. There's so much going on in it. As I said, it's a little bit of a maze of a painting. Coming through the centre of the paper, you can see very vivid, rich, rust, almost blood-like tones of red. And they're spread across. They're brought across in sharper lines. They're smudged across. There's areas you can see where the paint, the rust Uh, the rusted red has been almost blurred into a more mustard yellow um, and it's coming out in sharp points almost like teeth then there's harsh lines um, geometric shapes of black and greens coming through um, and all of this is happening on a more muted colour a more muted background of um, blues and creams and beiges so again it's like a slightly more calm monotonous backdrop and this huge streak of activity running through it. Yeah, and really rich colours for this time of the year I suppose that's what struck me, the autumnal uh, colourscape there and the lovely aquas and blues going through it. It's, it's kind of reminiscent in a way of the, of the costume but nothing like the shape of it but the kind of the costumes that, that you would expect to see on a samurai warrior maybe. Yeah. And those those uh, um, swooshes of gold are lovely as well. Absolutely. There's, with the swooshes of gold, as he said, it is reminiscent of um, maybe armoury or mm. things like that. Um, and the colours certainly are evocative and the shapes are quite evocative of um, some costuming that you may have seen. or Not costuming, but, um, you know, outfits that you would have seen maybe in the V&A. Yes, yeah. <laughs> A lot of depth in it as well in places. There's a this little piece here, like a this is just a little circle. It's like a little eye hole, but it almost in in what what doesn't otherwise look like a, a kind of a three dimensional image. It really gives you a sense of depth behind it, doesn't it? It really does. There's a lot of different dimensions within this work, and the more you look at it, the further into it you go. It does, as you said, give a sense of there being another dimension through. There's um. There's a lot going on in this work and that's why I really, I really personally enjoy this yeah. one because there's so much. And this is a prime example of abstract art because though there's so much going on and there's so many different shapes and colours and symbols within this artwork, there's nothing really cohesive or comprehensible that you can look at and say, yes, this is a flower. Yes, this is a person. It's very abstract. 
But in the way that invites you to stand in front of it for a long time and consider what's happening. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And that's exactly what one would want to do in this show. It's up to the viewer to really decipher what's happening in the painting. And their, their evaluation of that is what we love to hear. And that's the first part of our journey through the Lewin Gallery this evening, where curator Aoife Banks has been giving us an insight into some of the works from the Toos Technical University of the Shannon Collection, which has been curated over the last number of decades by Dr. Harman Murta. When we come back after the break, we'll take a little step to the left to two really unusual pieces. Stay with us on Encore on Midlands 103. Encore on Midlands 183, your arts and entertainment for the Midlands with the Dean Crow Theatre and Arts Centre Athlone. Imagine the possibilities. DeanCrowTheatre.com You're listening to Encore on Midlands 103 with me, Claire O'Brien. Tonight we're taking you on a gallery trip to the Lewin Gallery in Athlone where curator Aoife Banks continues our visit through the Library Gallery. We're back to the much more vivid colour palettes here, the, the primary colours, but completely different texturally and in terms of shape. These are a pair by Anne Rigney, one called Being from 1996 and Alone from 1996. Why do these two speak to you? They're very different. Um, they, they are and they aren't. I think on the outset they can look quite different to the rest of the work within this space. Um, but I chose these works particularly because, again, the sense of movement Um, almost frantic movement that you can see within the work. With these two pieces by Anne Rigney, you can see that they are mixed media, which means that they've been created with a multitude of different forms of media. There's paint, there's paper, there's string. It's like a collage of sorts all coming together on the the backdrop. Um, What we're looking at now is called Alone, um, and it's very... um, a very angry work, I think. There's really, really, really heavy blobs of red acrylic paint that are all coming off of the page. Um, and underneath those red blobs, you can see small little spaces of blue. It looks like um, waves that have come in on the shore and yeah, it's like sea yeah. mm-hmm. And then on the upper half of the painting, you can see a greenish yellow um, paint that's been... Um, carved into with um, I assume the top of a pencil or the top Mm. of a paintbrush so using that paint in a very different way it looks like it's been etched into by the top of a paintbrush to create an almost net like appearance Um, and for me the the sense that it gives of this net and then the blues and the washy um, the washy whites it gives me a sense of it being almost uh, marine like yeah um, and I don't know if that was intentional or not, but that's the beauty as well, like not actually having the full story behind something and being able to interpret it yourself. It's very textured and very layered, isn't it? And it's, it's hard to look at this one without your eye, I find, darting across to the one beside it to see how are they similar to each other and how are they different to each other? Mm. Um, because they are both layered and they are both very textured, but in different ways, a really interesting pairing. Absolutely. And um, it's great that your eye was pulled to the next one to the left of Alone because they are so similar, even though when you initially look at the two together, you might not see that much in similarity between the two of them. But there really is, because as there is the green netted texture in Alone, 
when you look at bean, there's string and it gives a sense of a netted, it looks like a net that's been condensed and applied to the paper. Um, so it's like the flat two-dimensional netted appearance in alone has then been brought out into the, into the three-dimensional world in bean. It's like a continuation of it. Um, and in bean, it is a mix of paper collage, acrylic paint and a string net. And again, very, very, very um, fast, frantic, gestural brush strokes of blue surrounding um, the perimeter of the work. And then a little further in, there's layers of gold paper lifting off, very sharply cut, mm. strong lines. And underneath that uh, paper that's lifting off, we can see black, red and white acrylic paint. Again, very gestural. It looks like it was done in a, in a, in a rush intentionally. So it's meant to convey that sense of uh, panic. Panic is what I think of when I look at these. I don't feel panicked, but I, I, I have a sense of there being a frantic need to create something that conveys the feeling that the person may have been feeling when they made them. Yeah. What strikes me here in what we've looked at in this room is how all the paintings talk to each other. Um, you know, we had that those swooshes of silver here, and like the ones we had there in the Samurai, and those vivid colours. And you're, you know, you you find that you're, well, I find they're kind of drawn back to look at how they all speak to each other. We have the the bright yellow fiberglass, and here more bright yellow, and and you know, and wavy movements. Um, when you spoke at the very start about the theme that you wanted to create. I mean, would you expect somebody who comes in here to spend time and to see patterns? Are you conscious of those patterns when you're curating a room like this? I certainly am conscious of the patterns and the conversations that the work have with, with one another. And um, that was the joy of curating this show. And I did section off the library gallery to be a particular conversation between certain works and let's say the other areas to be particular conversations between the works. And here in the library gallery, um, there is certainly a lot of um, a lot going on and a lot carrying forward between the paintings and uh, it's really interesting to see that because the work here has been made from 1966 mm. up until the 2000s so that spans 40 years and yet there's a lot of similarities but you'll see that there is such a difference in the styles so you can see quite a wide variety of artistic styles mm. um, and yet somehow they all are able to reflect one another and um, speak, with, speak together and tell a story. There are, of course, a variety of other works in the beautifully lit library gallery and some fine pieces in the lobby, including Terence Geyer's Sojourn and Louis Lebrocchi's untitled piece from the Thawne in the Riverside Gallery. You'll see it if you're on a boat passing by, Lewin. But that's not the only Lebrocchi work in this exhibition just around the corner. This gallery is the new gallery. Um, when you walk into Lewin Gallery, it's on the left, and people who've come to the Lewin Gallery may know it as the white cube space. There is no windows on the walls. There is some lovely skylights, thankfully, so we're not in the darkness. But um, it is uh, a really lovely space because there's so much more wall space and it kind of gives a bit more um, gives a bit more room for the work to breathe. So Tonally, this room is completely different to the library gallery. I should mention that as well, isn't it? It really is. So the work that I chose to um, 
be in the new gallery is quite different. Um, it's more focused on the line and how the line is used through paint, through sketching, through print. Um, and the line in artwork can really be a very strong boundary or it can be a blurred edging seeping into something else. And the work in this room really represents the entire spectrum with which the line is used and has been used in modern Irish art. Okay. Take us to the, the several Louis Le Brocchi pieces here. This one is uh, one of a series. Um, this is a study towards an image of W.B. Yeats from 1976. So this Louis Le Brocchi, um sketching is um, quite a privilege to have in the gallery. We're delighted to have an original sketch. Um, as you can see, well, the reasoning that I had for choosing the Labrockis, um, aside from the ton, um, was that his use of line and shading is so distinctive and so unique. Um, and it shows a sense of, again, there being a figure that is being portrayed, but it looks so completely, obsc almost obscured, but completely abstracted from natural presentation of what mm. what a human actually looks like but you're in no doubt that it that it's that it's wba absolutely and what i think is really really um interesting is that i can spot a picture of wba or a painting or any kind of anything uh that may resemble wba from a mile away and mm. it's specifically because we can see here louis le Brocchi has a very nice way of shading the face and really from the bottom half you could think it was anybody but the top half of the face you know for a fact it's WB8 and it is simply just from one line that he uses and that line is the hook of the glasses as it goes from one lens to the other over the nose. Yeah it's extraordinary isn't it? It's fascinating and it's a really good study um, on how simple lines and simple symbols and simple um, movements of paint or uh, pen or paper can really evoke something so distinctive. And there's a sense of the lens of the glasses there, which is really extraordinary because th there's no frame on them, but you're very clear that the lens is there. Um, Absolutely. Which is mind-boggling in terms of, of you know, how, it, how an artist see something that they can bring that bring that back to the audience that you can see something that's not there absolutely it was very cleverly done and um indeed though there's no obvious frame of the glasses there is a shading so again using the line and shading it out there's still a distinctive hard curve mm. so there's white and then immediately the black graphite um, and then it's been shaded out. So because that line is hard, you can tell that's a boundary line. Something begins there. And then the shading comes onto the face. You see, ah, oh, that's casting a shadow. And um, it's, it's quite like your mind fills in the blanks for you sometimes without you realising. Yeah. Two more um, Labrocchi pieces that are connected with poetry. We have Seamus Heaney and Thomas Kinsella Heaney from 1981. And Kinsella also from 1981. And again, the, the ability to, to imply, even though it's in a negative space, the shock of hair, the Seamus Heaney shock of hair, even though there isn't hair there. Absolutely. I really love the way that that was done. Um, and using negative space um, to create a sense of shape and movement is fascinating because instead of, let's say, for example, 
trying to depict a full shock of hair. It's simply a few lines that show where the hair actually isn't. Yeah. Um, and it, it was done quite successfully. Again, the line being used in quite um, innovative ways. Yeah. It's, a, it's a lovely pairing, isn't it? These, these two side by side, Kinsella and, and Haney. It is. And um, as they're from a series, they would have been created alongside some others um, at the same time, 1981. Mm. And uh, together they really do um, have a lovely conversation with each other. They're visually very, they're visually very similar in that it's the same uh, shade of ivory white paper, the same shade of uh, ink that was used on this lithograph print. Mm. Um, and the style, I think, is a little bit more um, refined, rigid, um, than the Yates yeah. sketching that we just saw. I feel like that may have been a little bit looser. And um, in the Seamus Heaney and Thomas Kinsella prints that we see here, there seems to be a stronger partition between the whiteness, the negative space, and then where the black sketching comes in. Yeah. And when we look at Yates from here, the everything seems much more defined from, from this distance with our back to Seamus Heaney. It really does. And um, he looks very grumpy. He looks very grumpy altogether. And um, only one side of his face is really uh, made distinct. Uh, Only one side of his face, you can see the glasses lens. Only one side of his face, you can really see the emotion on his face. And um, that's what I quite I quite like the fact that from far away, it does seem more um, distinctive. And as you get closer, you really see it's just a combination of lines and shapes and shading. Which is really the magic, isn't it? Eva said this space is about the line. And after the break, the piece I'd like to take home with me from this exhibition. Encore, brought to you by the Dean Crow Theatre and Arts Centre Athlone. From the greatest gigs to the best community shows, enjoy it all in the comfort of our newly refurbished theatre. Your theatre, our home, deancrowtheatre.com. You're welcome back to the final part of Encore tonight on Midlands 103. Tonight, Aoife Banks, curator at Lewin Gallery, is bringing their current show into your living room, into your kitchen, your car, your headphones as you walk or work out this evening. We've seen the bright colours of the library room, the lines of the Louis Lebrocchi pieces, and now the one I could not take my eyes off, the one I'd like to take home with me, the one that 10 days later I can still picture. That's what I'm taking with me from this show from these works, from the collection at the Technical University of the Shannon. If there was a piece that I wanted to take home with me, uh, it's the one that's directly across from us here. You come and talk to us about this one? Because I think I could live with this forever. This work by Gerald Davis um, is called Off Baltimore. Um, It's a painting oil on canvas. Um, it's about 1.5 metres wide and 1.2 metres tall and it's landscape, um, landscape in size, should I say, because I think that it depicts a landscape in one a sense seascape, or a seascape indeed off Baltimore. I think that's um, potentially uh, what it may be depicting, but very, very much not what you would expect when you look um, into the horizon over the sea. Mm. Um, but we do see a very washy blue um, paint wash on the top half of the painting and on the lower half of the painting it's more of a grey, somewhat pinky tone running through it but brown grey kind of wash and um, about a third of the way up the canvas 
there's a sharp, distinctive black line that starts off very thin on the left, is drawn across through to the middle and then explodes through this massive streak of red that goes vertically up the canvas and creates this huge sense of distortion and disruption. And that line, um, the black line, does continue on to the right-hand side of the canvas. Um, And as it continues, there are more colours, more more movement coming out of that. So it does seem like there is, seems like it could be a horizon line as you look over the ocean. Um, And it also is very evocative of there being a huge disruption, an explosion of sorts, but not a violent one necessarily. Um, it's almost like a contained sense of a contained emotion that then suddenly ruptures. The the proportions and the the, the placing of the action in this is is really lovely. It is, and everything is a little bit off center, which is nice too. There's no order. It's really evocative of chaos of some sorts. And when I look at it, I do think that it's meant to be an antithesis to order because it starts on the left hand side or the right hand side, depending on the way you look at it. But I think it starts on the left hand side with the thin beginning of the line. And it's quite orderly. Um, it's, you know, as things should be, very linear, very uh, clean cut. And as it continues on to the right, it starts to deviate and smudge out a little bit some red paint is smudged around it um, there's a, a wash of pinks and then yellows and then the black line just explodes into this huge red streak mm-hmm. which is continued on with other um, quite quite vivid uh, stro- with quite vivid strokes of the paintbrush that Gerald Davis has applied here so very much something that is to me evocative of deviating from the norm or stepping outside of what's expected but really calm at the same time which is very curious it is and I think that that's I think that that balance between calm and chaos has been achieved very well in this work Mm. Um, it's something that as he said I suppose is very curious it does seem like it should be um, more aggressive more aggressive or maybe panic inducing but it's really not it is very still um, and I think it's the washes of blue in the mm. back that give that even the as the red streaks through the center of the canvas, there's still nice shades of salmon pinks throughout the rest of the canvas, which give that sense of calm and peace. There, there's lots more that we could talk about um, in this room. Um, as you know, we, we, you've had visitors here this morning, what, what's been the feedback that people have given you about the exhibition? There's been really positive feedback um, about the exhibition, which has been so lovely. And what we have noticed in particular is the variety um, of people that have come in that have not come to the gallery before. I think um, because we collaborated with TUS for this exhibition, we have a lot of people coming in that may not have attended the gallery before. Um, We've had people come in who have said they've never been in an art gallery before. So... um, it's really, really wonderful to have people come in and to hear their experience because um, with this exhibition, we really are looking to hear from people who don't normally engage with visual art because those conversations to me and to a lot of people are really fascinating because you don't have preset ideas or preset notions 
um, you really just see something and you have your immediate response and that's mm-hmm. that. And um, the the feedback has been very positive in the sense that people just seem to really enjoy the exhibition. There is a really great sense of um, joviality and hearing people viewing, seeing people view the work and having animated conversations around it and saying things like, oh God, that reminds me of such and such, which is lovely. There's a real sense of liveliness in the gallery um, from the visitors and uh, it's, it's been great to see. And those people who have those memories, are they conscious of the fact that they, they had this extraordinary opportunity to be surrounded by incredible work? In, in all of the different parts of the, the building in, at the AIT Technical University of the Shannon? Um, I think that, yes, certainly a lot of people, um, probably mostly staff, are very much aware of the works and mm. what how meaningful they are and how valuable they are. And I don't mean that, you know, monetarily, I mean um, for the sake of their value as an, as an artwork, they're very valuable. Um, but I think that people passing through the halls of an institution like TUS, um, you're there to attend classes or you're there to socialise or you're there to uh, go to a lecture. Um, and going through the rush of day-to-day life, it distracts you from your surrounds. So I can't speak on behalf of, of uh, anybody else, but um, I know from my own experience, when I'm rushing to get from A to B, I don't really take in my surrounds. And um, it's been a real real pleasure and a real honour to take the work from the Halls of Tooth and really pedestal them here in the gallery and really showcase them um, and having people from Tooth come and visit the gallery, they see work that they may recognise but they never really had the time to spend with them. So it opens up that space and opens up that time for people to interact with work that they've actually been interacting with for a long time. And if we can all take one vivid memory from an exhibition, well isn't that terrific? Symbols of Subject continues at Lewin Gallery until the 16th of this month. And my sincere, sincere thanks to Aoife Banks for taking me around the exhibition. So much more recording there than we could bring to you tonight, uh, but it really is a superb exhibition and you'll find something there that will speak to you, even if you think contemporary art is just not your thing. Really, really, really worth having a look. And you don't have to have been a past pupil of the Technical University of the Shannon in any of its iterations to get something from this exhibition. Shannon will be back in this seat again next week. I'll be talking to you again in December here on Encore, but Shannon is keeping the seat warm for me and doing a superb job. Until we chat again, take care of yourself. Good night. Encore on Midlands 183. Thanks to the Dean Crow Theatre and Arts Centre at Lane with a wide range of flexible spaces, expertise and facilities to make your live stage production, corporate event or community function a success. Your theatre, our home. DeanCrowTheatre.com